You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect analyst and writer and the founder of JustBaseball.com. Today, we have a really fun interview with a very interesting and smart baseball mind, an under-the-radar guy that has been doing incredibly well and has been one of the best stories in the LA Angels organization so far this year, it's Anthony Mulrine, former 25th round pick from Samford, who is just doing an unbelievable job managing the staff as a catcher, particularly working with Reed Detmers, who has already had multiple outings this year, 15 and 16 strikeouts. I mean, he's been out of this world. Anthony Mulrine catches him essentially every single one of his starts. He talks a lot about how he and Detmers have worked together to get the most out of his stuff and what he's learned behind the dish. Also, his experience at Big League Spring Training this year, which was a really good opportunity for Mulrine to show what he can do defensively and show that he is ready for a more aggressive promotion. He had only played at rookie ball in 2019 after being drafted, makes the jump up to double A and has been doing great. 360 on base percentage. He's thrown out 48% of base stealers in his minor league career, and he is a great blocker, receiver, pitch caller, whatever you want to dissect in a catcher. Anthony Mulrine, there's a good chance that he is very good at it, and you'll see a very nice guy who really just knows the game, which is, as I say all the time, just so important when it comes to being a catcher, right? If you really want to separate yourself, you got to have all of those intangibles that are so important, and it was really interesting to hear him talk about just how he's able to manage somebody like Reed Detmers and help him get the most out of his stuff and let him lead the way while also facilitating him as much as possible. Also, guys like Chris Rodriguez, who I've talked a ton about on this show and a dude who I think could be a stud, and Anthony talks a lot about him as well as the offensive side of things and facing guys like Hunter Green and some of the other really tough arms in the double-A ranks like Max Meyer and some of these other high-end prospects that he's had to just kind of adjust to on the fly. It's not just the defensive side of things, it's also the offensive side of things and how he's been able to do that so well. And I really believe that you will enjoy this interview. Before I get to it with Anthony Mulrine, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. We've got baseball season in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, as we enter the NBA Finals, NHL, and UFC and MMA. Conor McGregor fight around the corner. Before next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and find anything you need for all of your sporting needs. If you use the promo code Locked On, that's one word Locked On, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors and the occasional limited time flavor, and they are all low in calories, low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs, and high in protein. What else would you want from a protein bar? They've got flavors like coconut, cherry, barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, 
strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and even German chocolate. There's a flavor for everybody. They're all roughly 150 calories. None of them have more than five or six grams of sugar. Covered in chocolate, easy to chew, great for a keto diet. And if you go to built.com, no more built barts, just built.com, B-U-I-L-T, and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you will get 15% off your next order. That's built.com, promo code LOCKED15, for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. So without further delay, here is the interview with catching prospect in the LA Angels organization. That is Anthony Mulrine. And I'm joined by Anthony Mulrine, catching prospect in the LA Angels organization. I still want to say Anaheim. I don't know if that happens to you, (laughs) but that still happens with me sometimes. But thank you for coming on and uh, congratulations on a quick jump to double A and you're having a great year so far. Yeah, appreciate it. Glad to be on. So does Anaheim, does that happen to you at all still? Do you ever have like a slip with Anaheim versus LA? Uh, I usually say Los Angeles Angels. Uh, sometimes I'll say the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim because I'm pretty sure they did that for a couple of years. They too. did do that too. <laughs> it's like a full sentence when you're describing yeah. the team, but it, it's been a great start for you through the season. And you're a guy that went from rookie ball straight to double A after the year off. And and that's the weird thing about this season, right? Is like mm-hmm. there was so much time in between that it was an opportunity for a lot of guys to to make a lot of strides. Um, but it was also this just big gap where y- you don't really know where everybody's at progression wise for an organization. Uh, what happened on your end? Obviously you, you just made a lot of good strides defensively. That's always been a big strength for you. You're hitting the ball. How did you really come to get to the point where you could start in double A? Did you even think that was going to be a, a consideration heading into this year? Um, definitely like during COVID, I did not think this was a possibility. Uh, I got a light, late call to spring training and it was a big league camp. And it was basically a, hey, we need an extra guy to catch bullpen situation and took that as an opportunity and just showed up every day wanting to get better and um caught the eyes of the right people and they ended up liking me and shooting me up to double A. Yeah. So you did great in spring training and that was a pretty big jump as well, right? You were getting at bats in big league spring training essentially. And uh, again, you you had 45 games under your belt in Orem, which is rookie ball. You had a great career at Samford where you you mashed for four years essentially. But how did you get that uh, ability to just go right in there and to MLB spring training and just, kind of say, here, I'm just going to try my best. And, and how'd you hold your own there? I mean, that, that's a really, really daunting task. And uh, what was your mindset to be able to do that? Yeah, no, it, it was a good culture. Um, we got a new general manager and, and Perry Maniason and then uh, Joe Madden there. So they set this culture to where it, it didn't feel like I was that separated from Kurt Suzuki and Max Sassy, our big league guys. And it just, it was the games that I got to into early, it just felt comfortable and natural. And then after those couple of games, it just blossomed into, I was playing every second or third day. And then I ended up starting the last game of spring training. And it, it, it was a, it was a good experience with the organization and the guys too, Kurt Suzuki, Max Sassy, just helping everyone out and, and making us feel comfortable and just relax. I, I was telling my mom, my mom was like, you look so just like you're having fun out there. I was like, yeah, it just looks, it feels like I'm playing at Sanford where it, it just didn't, it didn't feel like anything was bigger, which I think helped a lot. 
And you mentioned Stassi and, of course, Suzuki, but Stassi mm-hmm. specifically is really incredible defensively. And I know the defense is uh, something you pride yourself on and, and you're mm-hmm. incredible behind the dish yourself. But was there anything that you were able to pick up from those guys just in your few weeks there? And uh, if so, what, what was some of the big takeaways that you got from these really solidified, good defensive big league catchers for some time now? Yeah, well, uh, the big thing was the, the communication they had with the pitchers was unbelievable and, and knowing exactly what those pitchers are trying to do. Cause then that helps you um, get to the right spot or call the right pitches. And then everyone's, everyone's happier when that's going on. Um, we actually, me and Stassi actually had a couple different conversations cause he, he catches the ball when he catches the ball, he kind of brings it in and I kind of push it out. So we had a couple different conversations about that. And he was showing me how I did it. I was showing him how he did it. And it's, it's cool how catching isn't just one thing anymore. It's, it's whatever helps you move the ball to the zone and, and steal strikes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, really good guys and uh, fun to work with. And you've had a great job of just being able to throw out base stealers in your minor league career this year, you've thrown out 41% of attempted base stealers and in your career now in the minor leagues, you're at 48%, which is absurd. And you got to skip through, which is one of the fortunate things, right? You got to skip through high a, which mm-hmm. right now is oh, yeah. just a haven for stolen bases. <laughs> I just wrote something about that on, on uh, just baseball.com about how absurd it is. It's almost double the amount of stolen bases. The success rates up about 10%. And uh, for obvious reasons, I mean, pitchers can't even really hold guys on. Uh, How happy are you to be able to avoid that? And uh, how would you even be able to manage that? Is that something where catchers, I'm sure you've talked to some guys in high A, what what is their approach to something like that? You can't really do anything, right? No, you you can't. You just got to throw your best ball down a second and hopefully it's good enough. Uh, And and I know um, like our catching coordinator is really good at looking at looking at video watching it so he's not just looking at box scores and saying oh jimmy just had three stolen bases against him again like he's looking what were those stolen bases what what times did that guy have down to second you know what was the pitcher to home play what jump that guy the the runner had so yeah it's it's not so much about throwing guys out there <laughs> yeah and that's the good thing in regards to just being able you can look at pop time you can look at those things and with the base stealers though it's tough because you look at a couple prospects and you see a guy with 20 stolen bases in high a mm-hmm. and you're like okay but he might not be able to do that at double a and so at least it's a little bit more clear for the catchers but you, you talk about communication uh with your pitchers and that's something that uh you said you were able to learn a lot from with the big league guys and you've got some pretty good pitchers on your ball club right now and including Reed Detmers, who uh, you catch essentially uh, all of his starts, right? And he has been one of the best pitchers in the minor leagues this year. He's had some of the most ridiculous starts so far. I think punched out 16 and 15, if I'm not mistaken, in two different outings. Uh, What has it been like catching him? And uh, how have you gotten to learn him? And and what have you uh, just been able to develop in terms of your rapport with him and to to get the most out of him? Because I think a lot of people – don't realize that, of course, Reed is the one up there throwing it and executing pitches and stuff like that. But there's a big importance on the guy calling the pitches behind home plate. And, and those outings are are partly your successes as well. Yeah, well, the, the first couple of games we had, we were not on the same, same page. He was shaking me off every other pitch and it, it kind of showed in the box score. But as the season went on, we we started to get on the same page of what he wants to throw, where he wants to throw it where I need to set up in order to make present it the best to the umpire, steal more strikes. 
Um, but it's been really fun. I mean, I, I live with him. I, I hang out with him a lot and just getting, he, he gets more, as I get more comfortable with him, he gets more comfortable with me. And we just, it, it, it's just about communicating. And even his last bullpen, he just threw, I didn't catch it because I was catching that day, but he came over to me first and was telling me all about it and, and what he's trying to do on his next start on Wednesday and how excited he is for, for changing some things up. And, um, Hopefully we can get 17 strikeouts. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. 84 Ks and 46 innings. The command has always been a big calling card for him. The velocity has popped up a lot too. Uh, what makes him so hard to hit? Uh, as simple as a question as that is, obviously he throws hard and moves a lot, but uh, without giving away the secrets, right? How is, how is he able to get 15, 16 swings and miss or K's, excuse me, in a single outing. And uh, how are you trying to optimize that for him with your pitch calling behind the plate? Well, yeah, I mean, his fa- start off his fastball is an incredible ride and it's, it's a blessing and a curse because it's one of those things where he gets a lot of swings and misses with it, but those are why he gives up those home runs. Cause if mm-hmm. a guy puts a perfect swing on it, it's not going to be a line drive or a bloop single. It's going to be a homer. Um, but that incredible ride with the fastball, the slider that he just started after he was done with his career at Louisville, he started that um, in uh, 19 or 20 after he got drafted. And then um, he's got a big curveball that's been his pitch that he can just drop in whenever. So he's got three dominant pitches. And then every once in a while, his changeups on. And then you, you can't touch him when he's got four pitches and he can put him wherever he wants. It's 100% what it looks like. And yeah. that's the amazing thing with uh, how he's been able to just jump straight into double A as well uh, as, as a pretty polished mm-hmm. college arm. And uh, another guy that you've been able to catch is, is Chris Rodriguez. And uh, he had some flashes of success already in the big leagues, but he's been a guy that was on the shelf for a while, dealt with some injuries and uh, doesn't have a ton of innings under his belt. But the stuff there is pretty absurd. Uh, how is it catching somebody like that where uh, the command maybe not as on point all the time as Reed, but the stuff is insane. Uh, how, how do you, you know, body that up? How do you, you know, really pitch call for somebody that has as nasty a stuff as Chris Rodriguez does? And uh, do you ever find yourself falling victim to maybe uh, leaning on a certain pitch too much or uh, when a guy like Chris Rodriguez has a breaking ball, like he does, you know, how do you navigate that with two different kinds of pitchers? Um, well, with Chris Rodriguez, the, it's funny after big league spring training, everyone was asking me who on the staff had the best stuff. And I said, no doubt in my mind, Chris Rodriguez. And, um, catching him in 2020 instructs to now it's two different guys. Cause the 2020 instructs, Chris Rodriguez was just up there throwing. Now he has a plan. He's motivated. He knows exactly where he wants his pitches to go and how he wants them to move. And every bullpen is so intense with him. And um, he's working on just fractions of things to make it as, so make him as good as he can be. Um, uh, I don't think we really lean on too many pitches. He, he's down here. He's, he's working on stuff and um, we, you know, so he, he's got a good breaking ball. He's got a good changeup. He's got a good fastball and it's, it's blending all those together. And, and there's, there's a plan for how he wants to use those to attack batters and um, to not get big, not get double a batters out, but to get big league batters out. 
Absolutely. And speaking of, you know, hitting now on the other side for you is you've been able to hit the ground running pretty well as a guy, like I said, going straight from rookie ball to double A. And you're a guy that just puts the ball in play a lot. Uh, You've been able to hold your own again. Like I said, in in MLB spring training and then now in double A, what's been the biggest adjustment for you uh, offensively uh, just to be able to adjust at this level. I mean, it's a bit of a shock, I'm sure, uh, from the difference in pitching from rookie ball to double A. And yes, you did have instructs and a little bit of that spring training experience, but it's not like the day-to-day games that you're going to have to play in a full season in double A. What's been the biggest adjustment for you against this higher quality and higher caliber of pitching? Yeah, from when I got drafted, um, they've been making, the Angels have been making swing changes with me and uh, to try to help with the path uh, my swing path and we've been working, doing different swings, different swings, doing a million different drills. And finally in spring training this year, everything started to click and I guess it just clicked at the right time. And, um, it, it worked. And also not having the pressure of having to hit being a catcher and my having my priority, with the pitchers and me thinking about the pitchers all the time, I kind of put hitting on a back burner and then I'm not really worried, not worried, really thinking about it. And then that's when you usually do the best. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And you're getting on base at a 360 clip right now. And uh, that's something that, again, from a catcher, people don't realize there's a reason why it's such a premium to get offense from a catcher because of exactly what you just said, right? So much of your focus is managing the staff and, how much have you learned now being able to work with some of the best pitching prospects in baseball? You got to work with some big leaguers and now you're 25 games into double a has anything changed as the season's gone on in terms of just what you're seeing works with the way you're able to sequence. Are you learning more about just what works to get general hitters out? Or is it a different plan for each hitter? What goes into the game plan? And I know you get the scouting reports, but do you do some of your own research on these players and opponents that you have coming up uh, now that you're more in a day in and day out consistency in in the same league? Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely do some uh, scouting reports early and, and looking at different things and, um, we also are playing teams six times in a row and there's only eight teams in our league. So we are facing a lot of the same hitters over and over again. So it's, it's finding where their weaknesses are and exploiting those until they can prove that they can hit that weakness and then they, they make the adjustment and then we make the adjustment again. And then the other thing is too, is, is making an adjustment because I can fool rookie ball umpires all day, but fooling double A umpires is a different story. They're, they're a little polished, a little more, a little better. So I've been really working on that and, and where I set up and, and how, how I move the ball, where I move the ball, the, the, the pitchers too, like Reed, Reed comes to me with a plan usually before games mm-hmm. and, and we talk it over, especially when it's teams we face. Cause we know some of these guys already and it, it it's good having a little feedback and we bounce it off and then we talk to the pitching coach and then he gives us some ideas and then we go out there and we try to do our best. And I recently had Alec Burleson on who was probably one of the first guys from the 2020 draft class to get that promotion up to double a he's been fast tracked through the minors as a guy that's just really hit right out of the gate. And he said, which kind of ties into what you just said is that the biggest adjustment for him into double a as a hitter was that pitchers pitch to your weaknesses rather than their strengths. Uh, Is that something that you've kind of noticed on the catching and on the hitting side of things at the double a level is that pitchers are more willing to 
go after the hitter's weaknesses rather than their personal strengths? Yeah, I do see that. Um, but I do also, I'd, I, as a catcher, I'd rather, you know, at least when you have a guy like Reed, uh, when you're catching Reed, you know, you're going to pitch to his strengths because his strengths are probably better than your strengths, no matter what, no matter what your strengths are. So I, I do see that a little bit because guys are able to do more things. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's whatever, whatever you're the most comfortable doing pitching, you're, you're going to be the best at. And if you execute whatever pitch you're trying to execute, if you execute it, you're probably going to be successful more often than not. Sometimes, yeah, if there's a really good hitter up, we have to do something like a um, Peyton verdict from Pensacola. I'll give you a little Marlon shout out there. You know, there's, there's, there's certain things we have to do against him, but uh, you know, maybe an eight hole catcher, you're not going to have to do those same things. And you, you've just picked sheer strengths. And your league is is wildly talented. You mentioned Burdick. Uh, Bladé is a guy that uh, you guys were able to keep in check a little bit. He's been a bit hot and cold this season. Burdick's been on fire, but also on the pitching side of things. The Marlins have Max Meyer, who's been phenomenal. Jake Eater has uh, just got added to the Futures game. He's been spectacular in double A. But you've also seen guys like Hunter Green. I know you didn't personally face Nick Wadolo, but another guy that's in that same league. There is a ton of pitching talent throughout that specific double a league as well and uh who's been the toughest matchup for you so far and uh what was it like i'm I'm sure you enjoy the challenge but who who kind of brought you the uh the most difficult at bat so far in your uh, 25 games in double a well just the my my, actually my first game in double a was against the reds uh the chattanooga lookouts and hunter green started and he broke the record for the most amount of pitches over a hundred miles per hour <laughs> in a professional outing. So it was a nice welcome to double a, maybe if I face him a couple more times, I might be able to get him. but, uh, uh, he, he definitely got me that day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have to start your season with just routinely triple digits, uh, that's not usually the, the getting your feet wet type of thing you want to do, but a green's been fantastic. Lodolo has been even better. Um, yeah, I know you didn't specifically face yeah. him, but I'm sure you, you got to see him. And uh, mm-hmm. what has been working, you know, what stands out to you with Lodola? I know the command's great. The stuff is obviously very good. But is there something that stands out with a guy like Lodolo? Uh, we're talking about you, you catch a phenomenal left-handed pitching prospect here. Lodolo is one of the best in the game as well. You know, what, do the, what does somebody like Lodolo do that makes him, you know, have a sub one ERA essentially for most of the year? Yeah, no, he just, he's just a complete pitcher. He has everything. He has deception. He has the, he has the fastball. He, he's got it all. And um, I didn't face him, but everyone on our team said no doubt that he was better than Hunter Green because we faced him back to back nights so that they got, they got a good up close look at both of them. And they're not one person said Hunter Green was better than Lodolo. Everyone said Lodolo was the guy. So it's pretty, pretty high praise, I think. Yeah, definitely. And that's a guy that I think the Reds may even call up at some point this year. I, I really don't know what else he has to show at this yeah, point. Exactly. I think he's, he's been fantastic. But for you now, too. You had a really good, and I said four years, it was three years at Samford uh, mm-hmm. where you produced offensively. Of course, the defense was a big boost for you as well. At what point, you know, I, we grew up in South Florida together. You were always a hell of a baseball player, but it's one thing to be a hell of a baseball player that gets a scholarship to Division One, And uh, I'm sure professional baseball was always in your mind and it didn't surprise me to see you eventually get drafted. But at what point did you think it was really something that, 
could happen? When did you realize like I can actually make a career out of this thing? Well, I want to, I want to uh, edit your, your speech right there. I was actually a preferred walk on at Sanford, my only division one offer. Well, that um, makes it even more impressive. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Uh, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that was my only college offer was, was there and it was wow. a preferred walk on spot. And I did end up get on scholarship after my first year, but um, probably after my sophomore year, I had a pretty good sophomore year where I hit 300 and um we that was the year we made it to the regional would be Florida State Friday night which was amazing and after that season I felt like I did enough defensively and then I did enough offensively that year and then that's where I started getting a little bit of conversation from some scouts that like oh maybe yeah maybe you can go after your junior year and then um and then after or like halfway through my junior year I I started falling off a little bit and didn't have that great of a second half. And I was actually fully expected to go back for my senior year. I left my apartment fully packed. Like my, my apartment had all my stuff in it. I had to go back after the season and in 19, I wasn't expecting a call, but I was fortunate enough to get the call and happy to be here. You know? So you, you weren't even really paying attention to the draft at that point that much. Or I, was it a few I days? Was, I had it on my laptop, but I was more watching TV I got a phone call from an unknown or I, it was just a number from Georgia and I answered it and it was dead on the other side. I have really bad reception in my house. So just to make sure I just typed in the number online and it was some like uh, plumbing service or something. So I was like, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's nothing, whatever. And then I got a text from the same number saying, call me back. I'm from the angels. And I was like, Oh shit. And so like, I ran around my house. I found the one spot that had a little <laughs> bit of service and he's like, Hey, your pick's coming up. Will you take this? And I was like, yeah, sure. And like, by the time I like texted my dad saying like, Hey, I'm getting drafted. It would it already happened. And I didn't even get to hear it because, uh, and I was home alone and yeah, it was, a, it was a big, crazy, crazy, uh, 30 minutes. But So yeah. what did your family do at that point? They're not with you. Uh, how did that all go down? Cause that's a pretty unbelievable story. Yeah. Well, they, they, uh, I know my mom came home from work and she was happy and actually Ryan Stalder, our, our friend, our mutual yeah. friend, he came over and, and saw me. I felt like I hadn't showered for like three days and I was probably really gross giving everyone hugs, but, uh, <laughs> it's one of those instances. Was, nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's it, awesome, man. I, yeah, I actually, cool. Never knew the details behind that. And then you had a pretty cool experience uh, not too long after the draft where, you know, being involved with the Angels and also being a catcher where uh, there's always need for you, right? Like you mentioned mm-hmm. going to spring training, it wasn't initially something that you thought maybe would be an opportunity for you to really be able to show out. And that's exactly what happened. But just being around, you had an opportunity to uh, catch a pretty unique opportunity uh, with a guy named Mike Trout. Can you talk a little bit about that story and, and how that all went down? Yeah. So in, in 2020 spring training, before it all got shut down, I was there not in big league spring training. They had like a a minor league section of guys who were there just in case um, they needed someone at the big league or for the big leagues, or if the big leaguers literally needed anything, we were there just as extra bodies. And, uh, Mike Trout and Justin Upton, they decided, or they weren't playing that day, but they, they wanted some more ABs. So they went to the backfields and they were looking to get live ABs. And 
for whatever reason, my name was on the list to catch the guy who was throwing to them. So one, I'm ecstatic because I'm getting to catch Mike Trout and Justin Upton and, you know, get to talk to them and hang out with them for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And then once it gets over, I'm putting my stuff in the bag and our field coordinator comes over and goes, Hey, this is, this is from Mike. And it was $500 cash. And I was like, for what? I was just doing my job, but it, yeah, he's just, he's the greatest guy, best superstar. He's, he's, he's not, he's not a asshole in any way. He's just, he's as humble as anybody can be. Yeah. So I co-host a show with Jeff Conan, which we just started and uh, outside the box with Jeff Conan, he was talking about it. He said, that's like his man crush in baseball where he's just a guy that does every single thing right. Where you almost just think it's not real. Like he can't be that good and that humble and, and that just good of a dude. Uh, But what what was it like from behind the dish there? So I know it's a, it's a unique perspective. Um, You're not really focused on the guy's swing. Uh, Obviously you got to see the 95 mile an hour fastball coming into you and catch it. But there's obviously just a different sound off the bat, right? Like what, what was it like seeing uh, trout just hit the ball, you know, right out of your mitt essentially uh, when you were getting to catch those at bats? Well, the first thing I noticed was that all his like wristbands and, and knee guards and shin guards and elbow guards and stuff all had trout 27 and like his shoes had trout 27, but it wasn't like some kid wearing it. Like it was actually Mike trout. And that was- <laughs> exactly. That is, that is a great point. <laughs> that was pretty cool. And then um, he, he was actually working. He hadn't really gotten going in spring training at that point, And he was working on some stuff and he was like fouling a couple pitches off and he was asking where they were. And then he was like looking at his hitting coach and kind of like adjusting something. And then he hit one 112 back up the middle, right past the pitcher's head. And he's like, all right, I'm good. And like walked off. <laughs> It's just yeah, absurd. It's, it's and it's not like Justin Upton's a slouch either. That guy can yeah, yeah. hit the ball. He's actually enjoying a pretty good year this year. But mm-hmm. I just thought that was one of the coolest stories ever because it's that's something you dream about and you wake up and you're like, oh, I had the craziest dream. I was catching you know, Mike Trout's yeah. live at bats and Justin Upton's live at bats. And Yeah, uh, I, was, I was telling my friends that more, most people would pay $500. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know, and he gave me $500. Like, oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think you do that probably every week for free, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and did you get a chance to talk hitting at all with those guys? And uh, is there been anybody else? Any you mentioned Stacy? You mentioned or Stacy? You mentioned uh, some of the other guys that have been able to uh, help you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Has anybody else, any other big leaguers, or anybody else in the organization that's really uh, been a good resource for you? Someone you can bounce stuff off of and and stuff like that. Um, I didn't really talk to many guys. They, they kind of keep us separated, but in big league camp this year, I was, I, I would go to the cages and, and wait for my time to hit. But usually the big league, the big, big leaguers, the actual big leaguers would hit in there earlier and just watching Anthony Rendon and how he approaches everything. At first I thought like, Oh man, this guy doesn't care about anything. He got his contract. He's whatever. But then you really watch him and you really, look at how he's doing things and he does care more than anybody. And he's just, it's the perfect like baseball persona of not giving a fuck, but then also giving a fuck and not letting anybody else know that you're giving a fuck. And all the, 
like anytime something goes wrong or he could hit, he could get a home run to win the game or he can strike out to lose the game. And he's going to look exactly the same and have the same demeanor. And it's the same demeanor when he's in the cage and, and just getting his work in. And it's, it was pretty cool to watch that. And so you would say being even keeled like that, I mean, in, in a game where there's so many ups and downs and usually more downs than ups, even if you're some of the best players in, in the game, uh, that's something that stood out to you. You're saying basically just to, to be able to be so even keeled. Uh, yes, and it's, I can kind of see that in Rendon, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, that you, you seem to do pretty well as well. You, you manage your emotions, you stay pretty even keeled, but uh, have there been any moments where you just have this feeling of like, Holy crap. I mean, your first double a home run, for example, I, were there any moments where you, you felt that that high just get, you know, higher than it ever had been before? Yeah, uh, my first spring big league spring training hit. It, it was off of Joachim Soria, so he's like a he's been an all star in the big leagues, and I hit a line drive through the five six hole, and I got to first, and I was like trying to breathe, and the first base coach Bruce Hines, uh, he like kind of put his hands on my shoulder. He goes, "Don't worry about the signs, I got them. Just breathe, soak it in, enjoy that." And that, that was that was a pretty cool moment. That is really awesome. And I mean, Joachim Soria is one of those guys that he's been around forever. You and I have been hearing that name since we were playing Little League, right? Mm -hmm. So that's got to be pretty weird, but awesome at the same time to just step in the box against somebody that we've watched, whether it's a super famous guy like Mike Trout or uh, somebody that, you know, you're on the same playing field with and you beat on that uh, specific occasion. Uh, that that's the craziest thing about all, all of it. And I feel like it, it's got to be such a whirlwind for you, but moving forward now, you know, you, you're still got a lot of, a lot of season left. We're, we're reaching the halfway mark. And uh, like I said earlier, you're, you're swinging it. Well, is there anything that you're working on moving forward and something that you're focused on for the back half of the season to, to finish strong? Um, no, just, just keeping on, keeping on doing what I'm, I've been doing, uh, keeping my communication up with the pitchers and, um, just trying to be the best player that I can be, the, the best player I know that I can be, and and to not to not fall off. I know there's ups and downs, but I don't want it to turn into a more down than up. Just just keeping on that same plan, trying trying to keep even keel. And that kind of ties right back to what you were saying about Anthony Rendon. And uh, with you too, you know, as a catcher, uh, we would talk about how there's just different timelines and uh, you don't really know how it all is going to work out. And sometimes you have to get pulled up immediately. Uh, what is the way that you able, or you're able to just kind of get that going in your timeline in your head? Are you ever thinking about when you could eventually make it to the big leagues? Is that something you even uh, have crossed your mind or is it one, more of a one day at a time type of thing uh, now that you're getting closer and closer again, you know, you were in rookie ball, which is seems yeah. like it's forever away. And then now you're, you're, you're one level away from being one level away. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's easy thinking, Oh, I'm in double a now that, you know, I'm so close, but the realistic side of me was I did just skip, skip two levels. So for me to skip another two levels would, or another level would be a little fast, but uh, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to play every day. And, and if that's good enough, that's good enough. If not, maybe next year, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, I'm not in a rush. I'm 23. I got plenty of time. 
Yep, you're technically a year and a half younger than the average age of your competition in double A. So yeah, you, you've got plenty of time, especially as a catcher as well. Uh, but one thing I wanted to ask you, because we're talking about the big leagues and uh, we expect you to be there eventually, whether it's this year, next year or whatever, I got all the confidence in you. But there is a lot of talk about, you know, maybe automated strike zone, all of those things. You've mentioned now several times in this interview that, uh, you know, presenting strikes, stealing strikes, being able to do those things, that's an art form. And, and defense for you is something that has always been a big value booster for you as well because of everything you're, be, you're able to do behind the dish. What are your thoughts on an eventual automated strike zone? And uh, as a guy that likes to do all of those little things and, you know, does a good job of it, you know, where do you stand on all of that? Yeah, I mean, it does scare me a little bit because uh, the thought is if there's an automated strike zone that they'll just put some big donkey back there and it'll become like first base. But then the other half of me is like, yeah, maybe, but catching still, there's so much more. There's the blocking, there's the throwing, there's the communication with the pitchers, it's the pitch calling. So hopefully, I, I think that I'd still be all right, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that to happen. I, I like, I like the way it is. And even though, even though the umpires aren't perfect, I mean, it's, it's just part of my game. It's, it's part of who I am, you know, a hundred percent. And I'm, that's the part of me where uh, I do, I do love just having that traditional aspect to the game. And then it, it's one of those things where you go back and forth. Cause then you get screwed on a call a couple of times and you're like, Oh my gosh, like it, when it's just brutal. And, uh, I would say that it's it's getting a little bit worse uh, at times now, but it's because guys are throwing pitches that are faster than ever before and that are nastier than ever before. Uh, do you think that, and this is a little bit of a reach, but I was listening to an interview with Charlie Blackman and Blackman was talking about how a big problem with the sticky stuff and without getting too deep into that, but that baseballs were doing things that they've never really done uh, physically, right? Like, in, And in our brains, we have the ability to predict where the ball is going to go based on what we know, but because of the just absurd spin rates on balls that it almost made it impossible to know where that ball was going to end up. We've seen that kind of change now and offense has come back big time uh, over the last couple of weeks in the major leagues. Do you think that plays a component into, you know, umpires calling balls and strikes with how much these pitches were moving before. And now that offense is creeping back, do you think that maybe even umpiring will get better? Or is, is this something that is going to be difficult now that everybody has ridiculous stuff regardless? Um, I think the sticky stuff, it'll make a little bit, at least at the big league level or all around, it'll, it'll make a little bit of adjustment where hitters will be able to be a little bit more successful but overall, and it's just throughout history, guys, athletes get more and more dominant and more and more explosive and more and more just just better overall. So I, I think we're just going to continue to see nastier and nastier stuff and harder pitches. And it's just it's just how the game's going, regardless. They're, the base, uh, Manfred and baseball is trying to do all they can, but I don't know how much they can actually do to stop it. <laughs> as long as they don't move the mound back, it's good with me. Uh, yeah. One last question for you. And it's who is not, you know, we talk about the big name guys. You're out there playing with everybody on a daily basis. Who, who's the one player on your team or, or that you've seen in the minors that you feel like is, is not getting enough attention that has stood mm -hmm. out to you. Uh, if there is anybody that, that you've noticed like that. Interesting. Um, 
maybe even from behind the dish. Like this is a guy that you feel like you have to game plan a bit more for than maybe other teams do, or that you think doesn't get enough attention from the scouting reports or whatever it may be. Someone that just, uh, it doesn't show up on the top prospect list, but is a tough guy to get out. I think Burdick is a great example of that, frankly, but he's starting to get that recognition. Is there anybody else that's kind of in that, in that vicinity? I mean, we got a guy, we got a guy, uh, Michael Stefanik. He's in AAA with us right now, which, oh, he's in AAA. And I think, I think the angels have realized his worth and his value, but he was a undrafted kid out of an NAIA school in California. Um, and everywhere he's been, he's hit. He shot up the minor leagues. I think he's a couple years older than me. He might be 25, 26. He's in AAA, probably hitting close to 300. I don't know. Every time I go on Instagram, he's posting another video of him hitting a home run in the, <laughs> in the PCL. Um, but he's, he's just incredible. And I think that he's just like a David Fletcher 2.0 where he, he hits everything and um, just, just a grinder, just a grinder. Yeah. 311, 395, 449 slash line on the year. That's exactly what I was looking for. That's yeah. a guy that now uh, I can pay attention to. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll cite you guy. on uh, the next underrated prospects uh, highlight when I talk about this guy. Cause yeah, he, he's mashing. I'm looking forward to looking into him, but uh this was awesome, man. I'm so excited for everything you've got going on. I mean, to see you already hitting in double A and all the things you're doing defensively, it's been so much fun to watch you behind the dish and at the plate and uh, all the best moving forward in the season. Looking forward to uh, talking to you ahead of your uh, big league debut, but I'm sure we'll have a few more conversations before that and uh, open invitation on the show anytime. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So that was Anthony Mulrine. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Some really good insight on some of the more intriguing pitching prospects in baseball, whether it's from a hitter's perspective or from a catcher's perspective. And I always enjoy bringing on catchers and talking to them because they just have a different perception of the game for better, right? Just knowing the game to a different degree, which is usually required for the guys that are elite defensively. And I really do believe that Anthony Mulrine has the potential to be a very, very good defensive catcher at the major league level. The kind of dude you root for as a 25th round pick, as a preferred walk-on at a mid-major school, just a really awesome story, hard worker, and it's great to see it paying dividends for him at the AA level. Definitely keep an eye out for Anthony Mulrine in the future. His defense and his ability to just get on base is something that's going to help him at the next level and I think get him to where he needs to go. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.